hand. Good stuff. want to thank you all for being here this morning. We do have lots of folks that are ill this morning. You might notice Pastor Joe and Ruth aren't here. They're under the weather. Uh, keep them in prayer. And I know lots of other people uh, are not feeling well, so just keep all that stuff in prayer. Um, you know, I was, uh, we were, just got back uh, a few days ago from Florida. My family and I had a little trip in Florida, and I was joking with a couple of you this morning, and down there it was, I think it was 82 degrees, and we were playing in the ocean and jumping in the swimming pool and shorts and a t-shirt every day, even in the evenings at night. It was still nice and warm. We could swim at night, and then the very next morning we came back, and Pastor Joe and I were at a funeral where it was 20 degrees outside I kind of asked myself why in the world do we live here what is the disconnect there but then I come to church on Sunday morning and I see the my family of God and now I understand why I live here so 20 degrees and cold and miserable it looks like it's not even daytime out right now but I got my church family so I'm good so I do want to apologize to you before I get started um I know that we only got half the books in. Adam announced that a while ago. Um, for some reason, uh, the company did ship us two boxes. For some reason, the post office put one of them on a shelf, and then they shipped us the other one. And because it was media mail, I guess they have up to 30 days to decide when they want to take it off that shelf and send us the rest of the books before it's considered late. So we're kind of at their mercy um, I, I placed the order, it had been the 21st or 22nd of December, somewhere around there, so it could be another couple weeks, uh, I don't know, but that's okay, we can hack through this evening, and even next week if we need to, we printed off the, the first lesson, I know half of you probably got your books, and some may have gotten just a, the first week, but we will get those to you, um, hopefully they'll ship them maybe this week, I'll check on tracking Monday or Tuesday, and See if there's anything we can do, but other than that, they're sitting in Columbus in a warehouse. So, well, that's all for that. So, good morning. Everyone with me this morning? Okay, good. Because I came to preach this morning. Uh, you know, I, I'm real excited about our Bible study that we're going to start this evening. Um, I, I really, these last few years, we've, we've made a lot of changes to our Sunday evening service, um, and I've, I've really enjoyed what's happened over there. Um, we've learned... Uh, we've done different studies. We've we just finished up a year-long study on Revelation, um, which was fantastic. I, I loved that. Got lots of feedback from people. Uh, we did a study, if you can remember, on eternity, which that was a really good one. We we uh, even did a study a good while ago on finances. You know, um, so if you see what we're doing on Sunday nights, it's a it's a systematic approach to all kinds of little things that have to do with Christianity. So. I'd like to see as many people involved in that as we can. I know life is busy now, but if you can be there, I encourage you to be there. Um, tonight, you've been heard, hear me say, harp on this for a while, but it, it's called, I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Um, so we're going to, well, we were going to start that tonight, but I tell you what, I'm just so excited about it. We're going to actually start this morning, okay? I'm not going to wait till this evening, but the whole point of it is to train us to be able to defend Christianity, okay? L let me explain to you what I mean. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. This, this will be our opening scripture for this morning because really the, the rest of the sermon hinges on this scripture. So as I read it, keep it in the back of your mind for the rest of the, the morning. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. You know, that scripture in Peter that I just read that says, be ready to give an answer, it actually was written originally in the Greek language. If you look back in the Greek language, when it says to give an answer, when it says that part, answer, it's the Greek word apologia. And what that means is, to answer or to defend. So when Peter tells us here to be ready to give an answer, what he's saying is be ready when someone comes to you with questions to answer them. Be ready if someone comes to you mockingly or someone has a genuine question 
or someone has something twisted or wrong with the Christian faith, you need to be ready to make a defense for this book. You need to be able to defend Christianity. That's what Peter's telling us when he says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Defend it. Make a defense for this. Who? You. Every last one of us. Don't just say, well, I'll just leave that up to the pastor. No, you, you should be able to have a basic defense to establish, to present a basic defense for what you believe, why you believe it. You know, many people might say, well, pastor, you can do that because you have lots of time over there to read and study your Bible. And you know what? That is my plan. That's, that's what I would like to happen when I go to my office is to just study and read the Bible and not be bothered with anything else. But I'll be honest with you that that never, barely ever happens. There's always other little things going on, the things that need fixed, situations that need addressed, fires that need put out. So it's not an excuse for me because you know when I do my Bible reading? In the evenings. Brothers and sisters, I cannot encourage you enough to turn your phone off Turn the TV off. Now, now, if you want to watch a program, that's fine. But when it's over, turn it off. Set some time aside and say, there is a, a doctrine about Christianity that I'm having a hard time with. I need to understand this, Lord. And start your due diligence. Begin to understand these things. Why? So that when it comes up somewhere in your life, a coworker or a family or an unbeliever brings up a question or, or a comment or something, you have done your due diligence and now you are able to defend what you say you believe. The Bible tells us to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason. Listen to what Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Timothy tells us, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, you, you shouldn't just study these scriptures so that you can be a scholar, so that you can be intellectually superior to everyone else. That's not the reason. The, the, the reason is so that you can do it in meekness, so you can help to instruct those that are harming themselves, and that those that are damaging themselves. And you have to, in meekness, say, my brother, you're going down the wrong path. Here's the right way. Here's what the word says. It's in the spirit of meekness. We are to defend our faith. We are to give answers to the naysayers. We are to give answers to those with genuine questions, but in the spirit of meekness. You know, meekness is to, to suffer injury without retaliation. So if someone is harping on your faith, making fun of your faith, you make a defense for what you believe in, but not in retaliation, but to represent, to be a good representative of God, be a good steward of the Word of God. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you, you shouldn't argue and fight with people about Christianity, and that's true. I, I don't know that there's ever been anyone argued over to Christianity or, or argued into the kingdom of heaven you know, I, I don't know. You know, I would, I would conclude that that's probably counterproductive to, to argue with people. But we are supposed to evangelize. We, we do have the Great Commission. We, we are supposed to, according to the Bible, reason with people. We, we are supposed to, when, when people say, well, I, I don't believe in Jesus because of this. You should be able to say, well, here, the Bible says this. You shouldn't be able to make a defense for it. You're supposed to reason with people. We have many, many examples in the Bible of reasoning going on, where people reason with unbelievers, where people reason with people that say, nah, I don't believe in that Jesus. No, he's not the Messiah. He was just some dude. He needed thrown in jail. Well, we have many examples of people reasoning and converting people. And I wanted to go over just a couple of them this morning, okay? Acts chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 1, but this is the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul was a huge opponent of Christianity. Hated Christians, hated Christianity, 
Now, you have to remember, Paul was a religious person. He was educated at that time. They only had the, the Old Testament. He was educated in a Mosaic law, okay? And he hated these new Christian sects that were popping up. And he would consent to have them thrown in jail. And he was happy if one of them got murdered. He, he loved it and enjoyed it. Then he was gloriously saved, born again, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... So he believed, so what he started doing was he started going, traveling around to all these areas and to different churches, and he started preaching Christ to them. But I want to show you the methodology that he used when, when he did all these little, I guess you could call them mission trips, okay? And the, the book of Acts records a lot of them if you're interested. I've stressed over and over, if you're a born-again Christian, you need to be familiar with the book of Acts. It's one of the most pivotal books in the, the Bible, but listen to Paul's methodology, and as I read this scripture, I want you to keep in mind the opening text. Be ready to give an answer to every man, to, to defend, apologia, def, make a defense. Okay, so here's the Apostle Paul, Acts 17 verse 1, says this. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul as his manner was, went into them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is Christ. Now, do you see what Paul is doing here? He went into a synagogue of Jews, it says. Well, do you know what they had? They had the Old Testament Mosaic Law. And they're continuing in that. And they reject Jesus. They had heard of him. They just rejected him. They said, nope, we have Moses' law. This man is not the Messiah. The apostle Paul comes to them in three Sabbath days, three, three Sundays. He goes to their church service and he reasons with them out of the Old Testament scripture. I just wonder if, if they're saying, no, thank you, Paul. We don't believe in him at all. But Paul says, well, uh, flip in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's go over that. And maybe they all went together and they started looking at it and said, huh, well, I don't know. Well, then maybe Paul said, huh, flip back to Genesis chapter 3. What do you think that means? See, Paul reasoned with them. Paul was educated. He knew those scriptures. And he, he came to them, those Jews that rejected Jesus, and he began to say, wait a minute, let's re-examine those scriptures. And then them Jews started saying, wait a minute now. And, and, and Paul was saying, this Old Testament that you people have, don't you see it is talking about this man, Jesus Christ? You know what happened? A whole bunch of people got saved. A whole bunch of people got saved and born again. A, a chapter later, the Apostle Paul, on his little mission trips, he goes to a place called Corinth. You know, later he writes a letter to the church in Corinth called Corinthians. There's two of them. You can read them sometime on your own. Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is with a, a married couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, his wife. And they were tent makers, and they were born-again Christians too, and, and filled with the Spirit of God, and, and Paul was with them. And remember the opening text, make a defense, give an answer. And, and we're also examining Paul's methodology. We saw he went to the, the synagogue of the Jews and he reasoned with them three Sabbath days. Now here we are in chapter 18, he's in Corinth. 18 verse 3 says, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. He's talking about Achilla and Pr Priscilla. He abode with them and wrought, or he worked. For by their occupation, they were all tent makers. Listen. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Do you see Paul's methodology? He would go to these churches who rejected Jesus. They had Judaism. That's what they practiced. They had the Old Testament law. They had the prophets. In Jesus, they did not believe in him. And Paul would come in and say, wait a minute, let's re-examine this Old Testament. And he would reason with them. And he would challenge them. What do you think this means? Who are they talking about? And then he would say, I'll tell you who they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus. And the Bible says, man, and them Jews started saying, he's right. I see it now. Why? Because Paul was able to make a defense. He was able to give an answer to them. 
And, and, and it goes on also to say the, the Greeks, see the Jews, they had the Old Testament. Back then what they would have actually had would have been called the Septuagint. It was the, 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 the Old Testament re rewritten in Greek. So that's all they had. They didn't have the New Testament like we have today. It wasn't even written. It was, it was being written. So they didn't have that. So that's what the Jews had. They had the Old Testament. And Paul's reasoning that with them out of those scriptures. And then it says the Jews were converted and also the Greeks. Well, who were the Greeks? Well, the Greeks were the philosophers of the time. They had all kinds of different deities and gods and, and goddesses. But even they were converted. Why? Because Paul was able to give an answer. Paul was learned in, in, in the, the scriptures. He cared enough to know, what does this book say? I need to know what it says. Brothers and sisters, I cannot stress to you enough to create some new habits in your life. If there are doctrines in the faith that you can't wrap your mind around, tell the Lord, Lord, I don't understand this completely. There's some doctrines that are they're pretty tough to, to wrap your mind around. I'll tell you what, the Trinity, the Trinity is a, a pretty mysterious and, and, and somewhat difficult to tackle. You know what? Tell the Lord that and then begin to study it. And you may just be amazed what you can learn or what the Lord will teach you. Forever be a student, brothers and sisters. Forever be a student. Never say, I know enough or I've, I've achieved no way. But the Jews and the Greek, how can this man, Jesus, be the Christ? And Paul would say, well, let's look at this here. And he made a defense and many people were saved. Christianity started growing. You and I are byproducts of what the Apostle Paul did many, many, many centuries ago. You and I are here because of that. Christianity began to spread and grow and spread all throughout the world. And here we are a couple thousand years later because Paul was ready to give an answer to everyone who asked him the reason of the hope that was within him. Later on, you know, I, I told you the book of Acts is very important. It is. Later on, you may have heard of this man, a man named Apollos gets saved. Now this man, he got saved, and I mean he got saved. He got born again and was wise. I mean a man of God through and through and loved the Lord, indwelt with the Holy Spirit and would preach and teach. And Listen to what the Bible says about this man named Apollos and what he did in his methodology, okay? Acts chapter 18, verse 28 says, this is talking about Apollos now, says, For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, now remember, here's Apollos, he's showing Jesus, and he's convincing, mightily convincing these people using the scriptures. Well, remember, they didn't have an old, a New Testament then. All they had was an Old Testament. So what Apollos is doing is he's, he's taking that Old Testament, Septuagint, he's going through it, and he's saying, here, people, I'm presenting Christ to you. And, man, people started getting saved left and right. Why? Because Apollos was ready to give an answer. Because Apollos was able to defend what he believed in. He know, knows why he was saved, how he got saved. He knows where he was going, where he came from. He knows who he is. He has a, a, a self-identity through Christ. And man, when you know those things, look out. Because the Lord's going to use you in a mighty way. Apollos used the Old Testament to defend Christ and, and convinced a lot of people. Because Paul and Apollos, they were ready, ready and prepared to give an answer. Brothers and sisters, if there's ever been a time and a place to defend the faith it's now ain't it it's now have you noticed the the cynicism the the criticism the the hatred towards christianity it, it's just open and, and it's in your face and there's this tremendous deviation from god it's almost like if you step back and examine the world especially examine our nature our nation it's almost like they're intentionally saying, well, if the Bible says this, we're going to just go ahead and do this because it says not to do it. We're going to go ahead and do it. We see that there, there's never been a time and a place than the present for some brothers and sisters to start educating themselves in the Scriptures, 
start learning what in the world is God trying to say to me? What in this book, what is he trying to speak to me? Start learning these things and, and, and become skilled in the word. You know what the Bible says, you're a babe in Christ. You know what one of the criteria of being a babe, which means a baby in Christ? It means you're unskillful in the word. That, that's what a, a babe in Christ is. If you are unskillful in the word, you're a baby. Which I'm not criticizing you, but if you've been saved for any amount of time, you should start saying, wait, I better start seeing what this is and what he says to me. And the whole point of being a baby is to grow out of that phase. To what? To a mature man or woman of God who knows how to handle this. It's not just my job. It's your job as well to be able to handle this, to, to discern this, to, to gain wisdom out of this, to practice it, to exercise it. I can't stress it enough, brothers and sisters. There's never been a time in history that we need some just regular, I don't care if you work in a factory. You don't need to be a theologian. I'm not telling you to, to, to quit your work and, and go to a seminary. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying go home every night, just you and your Bible, and, and see what the Lord can do with you. I don't care if you're a poor reader, then get it on audio. There, there's no excuse. Do you know how many uh, tools there are free to use just on YouTube alone? Man, you can nearly become a master of theology just by getting on the internet and looking at a few things and, and tapping into the minds of some of the great men and women of God. There's so many tools, there's no excuse. You know what the problem is? The problem is we just don't want to. We just rather watch a, a television program or do what we want. Brothers and sisters, I, I can't encourage you enough. If you need to relax for a little bit and watch a show, that's fine. Get yourself a snack, that's fine. But at some point, turn it off. Turn it off and, and begin to say, well, well Lord, I, maybe I'll pray for a minute. and Just see if you have some thoughts that you want to tell me or, or something you want to speak to me that I'm not hearing or, or maybe you want to show me something in this word. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, it's strange, but you read the word. The Bible's not meant to be read just once. No, it's not. The Bible's meant to be poured over. And I, I've said, mentioned this many a times before. Read the Bible with a magnifying glass, a spiritual magnifying glass. Or read the Bible and, and get it out and stick it underneath your microscope. That's the way it's meant to be read. Read lots of the Bible. Become skillful in it. Become learned in the Word, in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. Why? So that you can give an answer. So that you can make a defense. Apologia. Our, our church needs to be trained up in it. That's why we're going to start this tonight. So that every one of us, rank and file in this church, we're going to be able to defend our faith. At least on a basic level. There's never been a time for it. There's, there's never been a time, there's doubters out there, there's mockers that twist the scriptures, that mock it and, and insult the Lord Jesus. I, I've seen goofy things, you know how there's lots of memes out there, and I've seen goofy things. Recently I saw one that said, well, Jesus didn't preach at all against homosexuality, therefore it's not a sin. Brothers and sisters, you need to be able to learn how to defend that. You, you know, someone that says that just doesn't, they're ignorant to the scripture. They are a babe in Christ or they're just a mocker, not even saved at all. Because Jesus does address those things. You need to know that. I've seen another thing recently. It was this little meme thing. And you ever seen a picture of Jesus when he's like, I think he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying on a rock. And he's kind of looking up towards heaven. And this quote mockingly said, when Jesus prayed... Was he, wasn't he pranked himself, you know, <laughs> real funny, you know, and it said this little mocking thing, hello, Lord, it's me, you, or something like that. That is an unlearned, ignorant person who doesn't understand the Trinity. I'm sorry, that's what that is. You need to know those things, be able to defend those things, be able to say, that ain't right. You just don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. To, to defend the Bible, you do need to know it. Now, every Sunday, I guarantee you, I will try and help to, to understand, to, to minister this word to the best of my ability. 
But that's not going to be enough for you. It's not going to be enough. Has anyone noticed that people have become increasingly cynical lately? Like, you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, man, Jesus died for you. He loves you. And do you want to get saved? Yeah, sure, man. Hey, do you want to turn your life over to Jesus? Yeah, how do, where do I sign up? They're all cynical now. If, if you say, hey, man, and you try to tell someone of the Lord or there's a coworker going through something, and you say, hey, man, I'm praying for you. You know, God can deal with these things and this, that. They're all kind of like, oh, what do you want? Does your pastor need more money? Does he, he want to get into my wallet or something like that? Or does he need another girlfriend or something like that? They're, they're very cynical now. They're much more doubtful. There's people that take much more effort to pick apart the Bible than they do rather to see if it's true. People have just become a lot more cynical, at least in this nation. You know, really, you, you, you might not agree with me, but I actually don't blame people for their cynicism. I don't. I don't blame them one bit. I don't blame them for looking at churches and ministries going, yeah, your pastor just wants to become popular. He just wants to become a celebrity pastor. What's he need, a new Cadillac? Does he need a new jet or something like that? Or does he want to become a millionaire? Or does he want his face on a billboard or something like that? That's how people are nowadays. I do not blame them. Not one bit. Look at what some of the huge ministries have done in the past 30 years. What, look at what some of them are doing now. M making a complete mockery and joke out of something that is pure and true and holy and meant to be highly regarded. Some of the biggest representatives of Christianity in this nation, they've done things like this. They've, they've taken advantage of people. They've been poor stewards of what God has given them. Many of them have been caught in scandals. Many of them have been fraudulent. Many of them have broke the law. Some of them got put in jail. And then we wonder why we have a nation that says no thanks to the gospel. They've seen all these things and they've said, nope, no thanks. I've seen it all before. Yeah, this guy named Jesus died for my sins, but I know the bottom line is you just want to build a big ministry. I don't blame them. You know, and after the, the nation and people, the people you work with, some of your family members that aren't saved, after seeing some of these charlatans that we've seen, some that are, have big ministries today, they're charlatans. People become turned off to the gospel because they associate this with the charlatans. And they say, no thanks. Brothers and sisters, this is why you must know the, this truth, the real truth, the real story. Not, not the garbage story that the charlatans have, have taught and put out there. Get saved and your wildest dreams will come true. That is not true. That is a lie that they've packaged up and tried to sell. It's a bill of goods. We have a nation full of people that have said, no thanks, I've seen it all before. And Now, couple all that with what America has done with the gospel in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Couple that with the fact that now, look around us, we live in what's called a postmodern society, a postmodern culture. And what that means is just a fancy term that means that everything is subjective, everything is relative, there is no objective truth, we, we can't even know truth. Uh, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. You know, it, it, that's what it all means. It's just there's no absolute truths. There's no, we can't even know truth. That's that's the, the the what these young people believe. It is. Yeah, I, I watched this one guy, a couple guys on YouTube that go around. They just interview these these young kids, young college students. They'll get on a campus, and they, these young kids, they they can't even. Figure out like basic logical reasoning. They can't. Th th there's a guy that'll say, "Hello, how are you today?" And, and just talk with this random person. And you know they'll talk and they'll say, um, "What if I told you that?" And I mean, this is just a. It was a regular white guy, you know, a young white guy. And he would say, "What if I told you that I was a seven foot tall Asian man?" And these young people would say, "Okay, I mean, that, then that's what you are." And he's like, "But I'm a you know." five foot ten white guy well I know but if that's what you believe that you are 
you see, it's, that's postmodernism, okay? That's postmodernism. That's why we have these men who say, well, no, I'm a woman. That's why we have this gender confusion, because we live in a postmodern society. Th- these are all reasons why you have to be prepared to make a defense, to, to give an answer, because we live in this type of society. And when you live in a postmodern, you and I, the church, do you understand what the church is? The church is a bastion of truth. Truth. Truth is reality. Truth is what corresponds to reality. That, that's what we teach, what we propagate, what we say. We don't subscribe to the everything is relative. We don't subscribe to the fact that, oh, you can't even know truth. We can't even know what's right or wrong. No, we're the ones saying, yes, you can. But when you live in that, you have to learn to effectively defend what this book says. You know, I hear people say this, you know, that religion is all about faith and has nothing to do with intellect. I want you to write this down. Jason D. says that is one giant load of baloney. Okay, that is one giant load of baloney. Oh, uh, uh, faith has just, it's your heart only. And, and that's what it is. It has nothing to do with your brain or, or anything else. That's one giant load of baloney. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, I mean, I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. What's your mind? It's your intellect. Love the Lord. Turn your brain on. Start learning from this Bible. Love Him with your brain. Love Him with your mind. Be an intellect for the Lord. Be learned in the Scriptures. To your capacity. Maybe your lot in life, you're not real intelligent. Well, do the best that you can. And when you stand before God, say, Lord, you made me kind of dumb, but I did the best that I could with what you gave me. Some of you people, though, some of you all are some smart folks. I know you are. I know many of you. Use your brain. Use your brain. Use your brain. Love them with all your mind. Yes, it's your heart, too, but it's also your mind. We have... We have thrown in the towel. Christianity has thrown in the towel on intellectualism. We have conceded science. We have said, well, no, the Bible don't have anything to do with science. That Fools say that. Fools who don't know the Word of God say that. You know what? I've heard people say, well, science and the Bible, they just don't mix. That's a fool statement. That's a fool statement. Listen to me now. If it weren't for Christianity... If it weren't for this old Bible right here, do you understand we wouldn't even have modern science? We wouldn't even have the the scientific methodology to be able to study the earth around us. We wouldn't even have that if it wasn't for Christianity. Look, Google that someday and see what what the the internet has to say about the the foundation of Christianity and, and how it led to modern science. We wouldn't have astronomy We wouldn't have things like physics and chemistry if it was not for the Bible, if it was not for Christianity. Some of the the pillars of the science world were men of strong religious conviction in the Christian faith. And people don't even know it. If it weren't for Christianity and the Bible, we wouldn't have most of our colleges and universities. Those were started by Christian men and women. Now, I know that they've drifted off of what they were, but it all started because of Christians. If it weren't for Christianity and the Bible, we wouldn't even have all the hospitals and the healthcare system that we have today. Do you realize that? The the, the 1300s to the 1700s is kind of what they call the scientific revolution. Many of the men of that age were were Christian men who coupled their, their... their search for knowledge through science with Christianity, and they made tremendous leaps that the foundation of the way we live today is built on the backs of what these men discovered. Huge numbers of universities and hospitals, they all come from church denominations. They do. The impact of Christianity on the modern world is tremendous. Tremendous. All because people used to 
used their intellect. They used to love the Lord their God with all their mind. And they made tremendous discoveries. It's everywhere and people don't even know it. Even the mockers of Christianity. They can mock and deny Jesus. And then they'll go to the hospital and get worked on. Oh, do you know that hospital stems from a church organization? They don't even know it. They're ignorant. You know, right down the road that way. The college, Muskingum University. Do you know that's a Presbyterian church or a Presbyterian college? It is. Now, they've drifted from what Scripture says, but it was started with good intentions. You go that way. Genesis Hospital. You know that's a Catholic hospital? Catholics. All those things, they have their roots or, or universities, all those Ivy League schools. That they were all men and women of God who said, hey, we can use this word and, and train up pastors and preachers and teachers. But nobody knows it. Because we don't use our mind anymore. We don't use our brains anymore to serve the Lord. You know, I love learning weird little factoids about the Bible. I do. I love learning weird little things about the scriptures and, and trying to find scriptures that are really revealing that you, you most of the time just blow right past them and you don't even realize that they say this but here's something that people don't think about when it comes to the bible okay you realize do you realize that the bible gives plenty of opportunity to be disproven plenty 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 of opportunity to be disproven and, and let me explain to you when I, I say that it gives plenty of opportunity to be disproven, okay? The Bible records all kinds of history, okay? Now, I'll say that the Bible is not necessarily a history book, but it contains a lot of history. Matter of fact, there's lots of historical books in the Old Testament. I like reading them. I'm actually reading through Kings right now. I'm about to finish it up, and it pertains lots of history. But the Bible has history in it, kingdoms, empires, Wars, civilizations, genealogies, dates, times, geographical locations, etc., etc. Whenever the Bible states any of those things, do you understand how that is ammunition for the scientific world or for archaeologists or whatever to make discoveries and say, uh -huh, I told you, look, we found this, but it now proves that the Bible is wrong because here we found hard evidence. And it has proven the Bible wrong because the Bible stated this. Here we are thousands of years later. We made this discovery and we have found out the Bible is wrong. So the Bible makes all these very important statements, records all kinds of historical things that could easily be disproven if we can find evidence. But do you understand that has never happened? That the exact opposite of that has happened over the years. All the discoveries that we've made that science and modern discoveries have actually substantiated the Bible. There, there's been, I, I like to look at things like this, that the, the naysaying community, they always used to deny King David because he's a pretty prominent figure if you read back in the Old Testament. And there, we really, we had no physical evidence for King David. And he's pretty prominent. So, of course, the, the mockers jumped on that, and they said, ah, <laughs> you guys all talk about King David, and, you know, you're supposedly Jesus descended from him. Well, guess what? We have no evidence whatsoever for King David. Until not long ago, they unearthed this stone tablet thing, and it's, it's thousands of years old, and the inscription on it said something, something, house of David. And then they kind of went, eh, well, well, we'll find something else then. Do, do you see this? This happens over and over and over again. Did anyone see this? Just recently, they found a skeleton with a spike in its heel. Anyone hear about that at all? No, yes, no. A couple of you did. Listen to this from thetimesofisrael.com. Okay? Archaeologists, and I'm quoting here, says, Archaeologists believe a skeleton of a man with a nail through his heel unearthed during excavations in England is the first example of crucifixion in northern Europe. It was revealed Wednesday. Experts from the Albion Archaeology Heritage Service Company 
found the skeleton in the village of Fenstanton in England while excavating a roadside settlement in 2017. The site was found near a road linking the then Roman towns of Cambridge and Godmanchester, according to the Guardian. The skeleton was found with a nail through its heel bone, which experts say is the most reliable physical evidence of crucifixion in the Roman world, the report says. We know a reasonable amount of, this is a quote from one of their scientists now, he says, we know a reasonable amount of, about crucifixion, how it was practiced, and where it was practiced, and when, and so on, from a historical account. But it's the first tangible evidence to actually see how it worked, David Ingram, project manager at Albion Archaeology, told The Guardian. Do you see what's funny is we made this discovery that substantiates something that the Bible said long, long, long time ago. The Bible said this. And now here we are. Oh, well, we actually found someone with a spike through their heel. Do, do you see what that does? That, that, the Bible told us about Christianity, or crucifixion long ago. And, and here now we are making these discoveries. We're discovering things, physical evidence on things the Bible already told us about long ago. The Bible is worth defending, brothers and sisters. The Bible is truth. There is no discovery that has ever controverted a single scripture. They all substantiate. They all validate the Bible. It's worth defending. Have an answer. Be ready to give a defense, brothers and sisters. Now, the Bible said it a long time ago, and guess what? We just dug something up, and oh, they did crucify people, just like it talked about what they did to Jesus. Here's hard evidence now. Well, I find that amazing. I like to laugh at things like that. Now, I'm sure that scientists can explain it all away, and oh, well, that don't mean that they did that to Jesus or that he even existed or whatever, but explain what you want, but I just think it's funny. The evidence is mounting up. It's starting to stack up. Here's another little thing that I like to laugh at. It's a scripture I bet you not a single one person in here has really ever thought about. But have you ever caught someone in a lie? I'm sure most all of us have. Or, or maybe someone somewhere wasn't telling you the whole story and you're trying to get to the bottom of it and something's twisted somewhere and uh, you know you, you just can't figure it out and you know, maybe something with one of your kids you know for his parents you know you may have been through something with your kids that you're trying to get to the bottom of it but you just things are awfully cloudy and seem suspicious well usually the the suspect that you're interrogating they're not very detail oriented are they when you're trying to interrogate them when you're trying to get the facts out let me explain to you what I mean. This happened a long time ago. My wife and I busted our youngest son for something. And, and I honestly don't even remember what in the world it was. But I remember we were unhappy and we wanted to get to the bottom of this incident that happened. Something was broken. Someone did something bad. I don't know what it was. But we busted him. We knew he was involved. So we called him out. He was all grumpy. And we sat him in the hot chair and sit down, son. We're going to get some answers out of you. And we began to interrogate him. This is a true story. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife after the service. Every single question we asked him, the response was, Oh no. Oh no. Uh, where were you? Oh no. How did it happen? Oh no. Were you there? Oh no. When did it happen? Oh no. Were you involved? Oh, no. What is your name? Oh, no. Do you even live here? Oh, no. I, I kid you not. It was like a broken record. Oh, no. Oh, no. When, when someone is saying that and giving lack of detail, it makes me very suspicious that someone's hiding a lie. So that they know more than they're leading on, but they just won't tell the truth. We could not get a single detail out of him. Oh, no. That's all it was. It gave us both an inclination that something was just a bit off because of his lack of detail. He's lying. He ain't telling us the whole truth because of the lack of detail. Now, if he would have said this, if we would have sat him down, sit down, son, sit in the hot chair, were you involved in this incident? If he would have said, you know, Dad, at exactly 11.30 a.m., I stopped by the neighbor's house. 
We played PS4 for approximately 45 minutes. At that time, I texted mom to tell her I had already fixed lunch for myself. I then proceeded straight home, took a 10-minute shower, and I was not involved in the incident at all. If he would have said that to me, I might have said, okay, son, that seems plausible, actually. Okay, you gave me times, you gave me context, you gave me locations, where, when, the the, the time frame. Okay, I might have been able to believe that rather than, oh, no. Because to me, it sounds reasonable. That, that sounds reasonable. Now, with that in mind, I know it's kind of funny, but with that in mind, and we've all been through little situations like that. That's why you're all laughing, because you can all relate to it. With that in mind, let's read a moment from the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke wasn't Jewish, okay? He was not Jewish. They believe he may have been Greek because he could fluently read and write Greek. Very learned man. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul refers to him as the great or the physician, the, the beloved physician. And Luke traveled around a lot with the Apostle Paul. Many believe that Luke wrote the, the book of Acts because Luke was with Paul on some of those missionary journeys that I mentioned earlier. Okay, now Luke, a learned man. Let's see if we can believe Luke's story if Luke kind of leads us to believe, the, oh no, was Jesus really who he said he was? Oh no. Or let's see if Luke has details or, or real story to tell us. Okay? Luke chapter 3, verse 1. And I, I, you've probably never really read this and thought, oh, the Spirit of the Lord really spoke to me through that one. But listen to this. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Luke writes, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, do you see what Luke is doing here? He, he's putting an awful lot of ammunition out to the world, and he's saying, hey world, Here's all kind of ammo for you to shoot back at the Bible and try to disprove it. Because if we can, through the centuries, make these discoveries and say, man, he just named an awful lot of facts. And he's saying that they're true. He's saying that this man's a governor. He's saying this man was his relative. He's saying these were the high priests. He's saying where, when. He's given us this time frame. What that does is it equips the world. It equips all the deniers and the mockers with an awful lot of ammunition to shoot back at the Bible because if any one of them little things he just said an awful lot of stuff if any one of those little details that Luke gave is untrue then we can say ha we got you Bible you're not true but brothers and sisters I don't know about you but I'm inclined to believe that this man Luke is telling the truth why am I inclined to believe that because look at the detail this man writes to us he gives us lots of details he gives us geography he gives us a timeline. He gives us political leaders. He gives us religious leaders. He gives us the relationships of some of those leaders, some of their families. He gives us job titles. Brothers and sisters, this goofy little scripture here that doesn't even tell us how to live or, or how to serve God, it doesn't really tell us any of that stuff, doesn't lead us to Christ. This goofy little scripture here gives us a real, tangible, historical framework. Listen to this. This is from uh, JesusIsGod316blogspot.com. It says this. It says, the historical reality of these rulers, it's talking about these few, couple little goofy scriptures here. The historical reality of these rulers is beyond dispute. Archaeologists have discovered specific, undeniable evidence that these people lived and ruled in these places and at these times. Do you see what I'm saying? The, the Bible is putting itself out there and it's saying to the world, go ahead, disprove me. Because I'm listing all these things. Here you go. Here's all the facts. Now shoot them back at me and see if I hold up. That's what the Word of God is saying. That's what the Gospel of Luke is doing. When it lists all these names, all these people and places. Well, guess what? We learn, oh, I guess there was a Pontius Pilate and he did rule. He, he was a governor. Well, I guess there was an Ananias and a Caiaphas. You know, I read that they actually found a, a sepulcher of Caiaphas 
they found, it was labeled, they found his bones. And guess what? They determined that he was from the first century. Oh, well, okay, well, I guess there was a high priest named Caiaphas. D do you see what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? The Bible is worth defending. It's worth defending. You know, the more details you give, the more likely you are to be caught in a lie. That's why my son said, oh, no, oh, no. He don't want to give any details because he knew he was going to be caught in a lie. Details, they're just ammunition to be able to debunk the lie. But we see here Luke in these two little scriptures that you would never even cross your mind as being something that can teach us something. You actually find out, oh man, what in the world? I better look closer at this Bible. You know, it's funny that archaeology corroborates what the Bible already told us a long time ago. This Bible is old. It's an old book. It's told us things, and just today we're finding out, uh, yeah, I guess what it did say was true. I'll read to you a quote from an American physicist, a radio astronomer, I don't even know what that is, and a Nobel Prize winner. His name was Arno Penzias. Listen to what he said, and I quote, the best data we have. Now, this man discovered some sort of discovery that we now, you know they always used to say that the universe is eternal, that it never was created. It's always just existed. But the Bible has always said, no, it was created by a being called God. Well, now do you know that everyone's changed their mind? Now, they call it the Big Bang Theory, and they say nothing exploded, which I find to be not logical, but this Arno Penzias, he made some sort of discovery that assisted the scientific world with, oh, wait a minute, there was a beginning to this universe. Listen to what he says. And this is a Nobel Prize winner. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your mind. He says, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses and the Bible as a whole. This man is a physicist won this Nobel Prize for discovering things. He's a scientist. He's, a, he's an intellect. He's a smart individual. And he's saying, look, I made this discovery, but the Bible done said it a long, 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 long time ago. We're, we're just substantial. We're just validating what it said. If I didn't have anything but Genesis, the first five books, the Pentateuch, if, that, if that's all I had, we're just learning those things that it's already said. Brothers and sisters, the Bible's worth defending. It's worth defending. It's worth loving the Lord your God with all your mind, your brain. Whatever you do, love Him with your brain too. Turn that part back on. I'll, I've been preaching a long time. I'll, I'll hurry up. I'm almost finished. Um, I just love those two little obscure verses in Luke. I go back and I read them over again. You know, we, we come to find out that the Bible just keeps over and over being proven to be legit. It's legit. The, the Bible, brothers and sisters, it, it's worth defending. It is worth defending to your last breath. Christianity is worth studying and to be able to give an answer. It's worth it. One last thing, okay? I got to read a few scriptures to you, but I'm going to give you just some homework. Now, you can dismiss this if you want, but it's easy homework. I'm going to ask everyone in here sometime this week, Read Acts chapter 27 in its entirety. And read it with your thinking cap turned on, okay? Read it in mind of the things that I preached this morning. The, the details and the... the see if, if, like I said, they believe that Luke wrote Acts. So read it and, and look at it and say, did Luke just say, I don't know, some dude named Jesus and me and Paul went and told these church people about it and they said okay. See if it's like that or see if the writer gives detail, a, a framework. So read Acts chapter 27. Now I'm going to read a few scriptures of that right now. Okay, and, li and listen now. Listen to the detail. Is this made up or did someone eyewitness this? Acts chapter 27 verse 13, it says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. This is the Apostle Paul. He's on a ship. Um, Verse 14 says, But not long after there arose it against a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon, like a nor'easter. And when the ship was caught, 
We could not bear it up into the wind. We let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat. And when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither the sun nor the stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Now, as I was reading that, did you happen to notice they, they spoke a, very specifically about sailing, about how, it, how they sailed, about the islands that they swung past, about they were afraid to run into this ground, they, they, they have this shipwreck. They spoke of the prevailing winds. They spoke of the Eurocladon, uh, a nor'easter. You know they went back to, to that same route and they've checked all those things? Guess what? They are the prevailing winds that Luke wrote about. Th- there is shallow ground there, exactly in them islands that you can get near. It's exactly as described in the book of Acts. So that's your homework. Read chapter 27. Now, I'm going to bring this to a close. I'll ask the band to make their way back. But as I do, don't turn your thinking cap off left because I'm going to read to you from Wikipedia now concerning what I just read to you, those scriptures about the, the ship and sailing in, in the wind. Listen, this is from Wikipedia. This passage has many nautical technicalities technicalities which can be attested in ancient navigation fair havens on the southern coast of crete in ver- mentioned in verse 8 is the small bay with rocky beach that would be hard for large ships to shelter from winter storms so it is reasonable to find a better harbor that they spoke about in verse 12 but that decision was too late and the ship is caught by a typhoon wind or uh, a nor'easter that they mentioned in verse 14 It is very difficult for Roman ships, usually with a single large sail, to turn into the wind that they mentioned in verse 15. So the ship was in real danger of being stranded on the sandbanks of the Citrus off the northern coast of Africa. Do you see what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? You can take the scripture, you can look at Acts chapter 27, and then you can look at what they're saying is, they're saying, oh, um, well, all these routes are true. These winds, are, they are the prevailing winds. It is dangerous. Those ships that we do know that they built, they do have a hard time turning into the wind. Do you see how it substantiates it? It substantiates the details. The Bible puts itself out there to the world and says, disprove me if you will. Guess what? They're all failing. They all fail. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, learn the details. Learn the details. If you come across something in your Bible and you're like, what in the world does that mean? God will help you figure it out. God will help you figure it out. If there's a particular doctrine that you don't understand, set out to learn it. You don't understand exactly what baptism is. Set out to learn it. You don't understand what the incarnation is. Set out to learn it. You don't understand the doctrine of original sin. Set out to learn it. You don't understand the Trinity. Set out to learn it. Learn all these things. Now, it doesn't happen overnight and all at once. But slowly, over the course of your life, train yourself up in these things. Quit being a babe and unskillful in the things of God. Be a learned man. Begin to grow in the things of God so that you can be skillful in the Word and you can be able to discern the Scriptures and you can ultimately be able to defend the faith and to give an answer to those who oppose themselves in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Amen? Let's stand this morning. You know, these altars are always open. We're going to go and worship. If you need prayer, you come down to this altar and you seek the Lord. One last thing. The, the, the book of Hebrews tells us, He that comes to God must first believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know what that means? It means if you start saying, All right, preacher man, I'll start learning in this book that you say. You start truly doing it with genuine intentions, God will reward you. He will put a piece of the puzzle in place and you'll go, I get it now. I understand that now. 
I understand that doctrine now, Lord. Thank you. Let's move on to something else. And you'll see that it's addictive. More and more, it, it'll, it'll, it'll take you. It'll pull you right in. The Bible says, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you don't have that hunger and that thirst for the Word, for righteous things, the things of God, ask Him. He'll give it to you, and you will be filled. Amen? Amen. These altars are open.